When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We begin the countdown to the final on Sunday with our final European Championship, Rewinds. Today we're talking about Euro 2012, irrespective of whether your team is still participating at Euro 2020. Fear not on these rest days up until the final on Sunday, we're not resting are we? We're looking at tournaments gone by, this is the Euro Daily Podcast episode 33 and of course I am still Jake from What If Football. You can find this podcast anywhere where you get podcasts, really, Acast, Amazon, Apple and Spotify, where after the European Championships will be three days a week with some fresh new content. And we're also available on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash whatifootball, where you can get the Euro Daily there for free as well. And after the Euros, we've got seven days a week content, be it podcasts or gaming content. So let's get in with the... uh, European Championships of 2012. So the year was 2012 and we had another co-host. We've had the Netherlands and Belgium in 2000. We've had Austria and Switzerland in 2008. And we followed that up with another dual hosting tournament, that being Poland and Ukraine. The build-up was marred by potential hooliganism. They had a huge smear campaign in the old uh, Panorama video series, documentary series on BBC there. I remember watching that quite vividly. Also, there was uh, late rumblings and late host replacements with uh, Poznan in Poland and Kharkiv in Ukraine replacing host cities as well. Thankfully, in qualification, there was a return to playoff football and inhabiting those were... Turkey, who were some way off Germany's perfect 100% record, surely they were going to build on the successes of the 2010 World Cup where they reached the semi-final stage, inevitably of course, because it is Germany. Ireland were also in the playoff, who rued a 0-0 draw in Moscow and a home loss to Russia, who qualified in their place automatically out again 
to reach a semi-final in the European Championships after performing so well in 2008. Estonia were in the playoffs as well, who held off Serbia, Slovenia, who were both in the 2010 World Cup, as well as Northern Ireland, but ultimately they were 10 points off Italy, who were hoping to rebound from a haphazard World Cup in South Africa, to say the least. Bosnia were also in the playoffs, who could only muster a point in France, who made it automatically by just a point, recoiling after the after the tumultuous managerial stewardship of Raymond Dominic. In his place, though, was Laurent Blanc as France sailed through automatically. Croatia were in the playoffs, who couldn't beat Greece home or away. Greece, of course, the champions from 2004. Greece who had been knocked out of the group stages both of Euro 2008 and the 2010 World Cup, but had qualified here for Euro 2012 automatically. And new nation Montenegro, they were also in the playoffs, pipping Switzerland and Wales to a playoff berth, whilst England ran away with qualification, but a managerial change in the build-up to the tournament saw Fabio Capello gone and Ray Roy Hodgson in the driving seat for his first tournament as England manager. Czech Republic was also in the playoffs who held off Scotland but was some way off Spain who by this point were dominating world football. 100% record in qualification here. They were of course the European champions and the world champions winning their first ever World Cup in South Africa against the Netherlands. Portugal were also in a playoff spot. They finished second on goal difference from Norway but behind Denmark. Denmark and Portugal would of course would of course reunite in the main tournament in Poland and Ukraine. Sweden qualified with the Netherlands automatically as the best second place team. Sweden would be funneled into Group D with England, Ukraine and France. Meanwhile, the Netherlands would face a horrific draw featuring Portugal, Denmark and Germany in what we would call, what we would prescribe as the group of death, quote unquote, in 2012. Croatia would be going through, gaining revenge for 2008 with a 3-0 win in Istanbul in the playoffs, winning 3-0 on aggregate. Meanwhile, Ireland sauntered through 5-1 on aggregate against Estonia, Czech Republic beating Montenegro home and away. Portugal were held in Bosnia, but sailed through thanks to a 6-2 win in Lisbon, which meant all the seeded teams in the playoff competition pulled through. The tournament started off with a bang, not with Poland and Greece as 1-1 draw in the opener, but it did see Robert Lewandowski's goal, his first goal in a major tournament. But the big bang we were talking of is Russia's demolition of Czech Republic in Rothklar. Alan Zagoev scoring twice in a 4-1 rout. I was working at McDonald's at the time and I came home to a scoreline that I didn't think I would see a 4-1 humiliation of Czech Republic there. Lewandowski's heroics from the first game were transferred onto Jakub Blaskowski with an absolutely thunderbolt of a goal against Russia. That game probably more well known for the huge support that Russia had in Warsaw. The huge This Is Russia banner. Quite controversial, huge in the uh, one end of the stadium, which uh, kind of set the headlines and set the front pages in motion there across Europe. Czech Republic in the other match day two fixture ran up a couple of goals against Greece in the opening six minutes looking to reaffirm their dominance in the group and uh, would ultimately win 2-1 which with those scorelines left group A with everything to play going into the final match day. Russia had four points they were favourites to go through. 
Czech Republic had three points ahead of Poland on two and Greece had one point and seemingly had no hope against Russia in the final match day. They were favourites to go through. However, Georgios Karagounis had other ideas. The winning goal, which saw the unfancied Greece through at the skin of their teeth and they would do so two years later on down the line again quite late on against Ivory Coast in Brazil but we'll talk about that maybe next November if we do a World Cup Rewind podcast (laughs) and Czech Republic surprised as well knocking out the hosts Poland winning 1-0 there which I distinctly remember going into the tournament that uh, Poland and Russia would go through Poland as hosts I'd get that uh, I seem to be playing a lot of FIFA 12 with Borussia Dortmund and Lewandowski and Blaszkowski there. I thought they were nailed on, obviously. Football on the grass is not the same as football on a CD as uh, FIFA there. But, uh, yep, the other teams went through. Czech Republic and Greece. And there was a tiebreaker that maybe penalty shootouts were needed. But, again, like the 2008 Group A, it was keenly avoided. Now, as we said, Group B was assigned to the Group of Death role in the last 16-team European Championships. We're ever likely to see, but of course, it wouldn't be the last. Wouldn't be the last Group of Death. Group F from this year's, of course, being equally as deftly as all teams went out in the last 16, or sooner, of course. And this group started with a huge shock. Michael Crondelli scoring against the 2010 World Cup finalists in the Netherlands. Meanwhile, Mario Gomez got the only goal of the game in Lviv against Portugal. And he got two more against the Netherlands in the second game and seemingly was on quite the rampage to get the golden boot here. Meanwhile, uh, Miroslav Klose was waiting in the wings there with his usual golden boots on his 2006 golden boot, of course. Um, He would, of course, go on to be the World Cup's Greatest ever goal scorer, a German player. Nowhere near the ranks, I think, Jürgen Klinsmann's Germany's highest ever European Championship goal scorer as we speak today. Now, this result made Denmark versus Portugal interesting. Portugal leading 2-0, but Lord Bentner, Nicholas Bentner, scored twice. And this game is often used as a benchmark for UEFA hypocrisy and their leniency against racism, as Bentner's fine here for showing his paddy power boxer shorts with often used as a comparison. I think it was around 60 to €80,000, the fine that Nicholas Bentner received here. And he's sometimes greater than some punishments that UEFA put out for racism, which is just how UEFA roll, apparently. But it wouldn't be the day of Bentner, it would be the day of Portugal and Varela scoring a superb volley late on, a desperate volley late on, to win 3-2. It left Germany almost through, but not quite there yet. Meanwhile, Netherlands could still go through, and they did lead early on in Kharkiv through a superb Rafael van der Vaart goal against Portugal. However, Cristiano Ronaldo put in one of his inevitable displays, turning a 1-0 deficit into a 2-1 win, and that breakaway goal when he chops and sends the goalkeeper the wrong way over his right foot is exactly indicative of why Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the best footballers to ever play the sport we call football. Meanwhile, in Lviv, Lars Bender got Germany's late winner, earning nine points in a group of death as Portugal joined them in the quarterfinals. Now, Group C was it was kind of a close contender as a group of death as well. You've got Spain and Italy, who played out a semi-final just gone and uh, would play out the uh, the group stages here and a knockout stage further down the line in this tournament as well, obviously, met in the quarterfinal the previous year where Spain knocked out Italy 
on penalties and that would be the catalyst for Spain to finally win a trophy after 44 years. Obviously you had Croatia in there as well who weren't too bad. Ireland, probably the weak link in here. They would prove they were the weak link um, by the end of proceedings in Group C. But um, at the start it was Spain versus Italy in a superb opener. Di Natale with a superb curling effort akin to... Uh, Federico Chiesa's goal, goal early on this week and uh, Cesc Fabregas traded goals in there. Uh, Spain field in a false nine formation, a bit like Danny Olmo again this week, which might as well have been alien in 2012 to some people. And this was, of course, down to David Villa and his broken leg. They tried to race him back, but it was never going to happen, unfortunately. It was a game where Andrea Perlo did his best to outshine Xavi and Iniesta. And in the end, a, a draw was probably a fair result here. Meanwhile, Mario Mandzukic staked his claim on the Golden Boot alongside fellow Mario Gomez, first scoring uh, two goals in a 3-1 win against Ireland and then an equaliser against Andrea Perlo's Italy, Perlo's course, scoring a free kick there. Another four goals were shipped by Ireland against Spain in Gdansk, which left things interesting, not for Ireland, of course, they were the first team out, as a 2-2 draw between Croatia and Spain would send Italy out with more than a whiff of 2004, the European Championships there, keenly wanting its storylines back. Spain with the four points, Croatia with four points, Italy on two and Ireland on zero. Italy would win against Ireland, of course, and a late Jesus Navas goal, fortunate in that it put Italy through to meet the Group D winner and Group D wasn't a bad group either and none of the groups really are in a 16-team tournament in the 21st century anyway. Group D winner would likely be settled in the opening match. And again, a little nod back to Euro 2004. It was England and it was France. France in 2004. Definitely not the France of 2012 here. Julian Lescott headed a goal in, for example, for England to get England on their way. The future was bright under Roy Hodgson, but within nine minutes, English fans were brought crashing back down to earth. Sami Nazari equalising. The game would finish 1-1, unlike in 2004, where Zinedine Zidane grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and led France into the quarterfinals. Top of the group here, though, Ukraine was top after the first match day. Andrei Shevchenko starred for the co-host Ukraine in 2006 in the World Cup, reaching the quarterfinals. Quarterfinal under his belt, of course, this year as manager of Ukraine. And he did so again here. Again, two goals in a 2-1 win over Sweden. His... Um, a first European Championship win at the very first attempt for Ukraine. France would leapfrog Ukraine in a stormy Donetsk win two days later, which ensured that England's comeback win against Sweden was slightly delayed. And England here, with Andy Carroll through the middle with that header from a deep cross. Two unfortunate goals to concede, really, but England weren't at the races. And then what can only be described as two quite fortunate goals themselves. Theo Walcott seemingly bamboozled the Sweden goalkeeper. I still don't know how, uh, with a killing effort that went straight down his throat, but still it nestled in the net. And uh, Danny Welbeck with that ingenious back heel into the net later on to confirm a 3-2 win. It's one of the only real games where... England have scored three goals at a championship, obviously pre-Southgate here. Um, I could only remember 2002 World Cup beating Denmark 3-0. I'm struggling to think of one that I can remember anyway. Perhaps, um, no, I can't really think of one. And that's the indictment on England at the time, really. Please let me know if I'm wrong on that one. And it left 
Group D hanging in the balance. England, your point would be enough against Ukraine in Donetsk to go through. Meanwhile, France needed a win to be sure. They had waited six years for a tournament win. Got that against Ukraine, of course. Meanwhile, meanwhile, John Terry had to clear off the line. Potentially over the line. Probably, but probably over the line. More than probably payback for 2010 with the Frank Lampard goal on that one uh, but Wayne Rooney scored from about four centimetres out with a header goal of the tournament there superb work by Steven Gerrard in the uh, build-up for that one England escape 1-0 against Ukraine seven points just like they got in Euro 2020 now I'm recording this before the, the semi-final with Denmark uh, tonight so I don't know if England are in that European Championship final um, they got seven points in 2020 as well they would not get to a final here and uh, meanwhile, it meant that France just needed a better England's result to top the group. They would, of course, not. They couldn't even win, failing from uh, superb goals by Zlatan Ibrahimovic and then a crashing volley by Sebastian Larsson. It meant that they would be second and they would meet the world and European champions in the quarter final. So, who were the heavy hitters then going into the knockout stage? For me, I remember at the time with Spain and Germany separated. I had it down as clear as day. Spain versus Germany in the final. Guaranteed. We had England versus Italy. We had we had Germany versus Greece. We had Portugal versus Czech Republic. And we had Spain versus France. Now, Spain were the clear favourites at this stage. But there's always that thing in the back of your mind that nobody has ever retained the European Championship Nobody barely retains an international trophy at all. Brazil, the only team to retain the World Cup in uh, 1958 and 1962. So you always felt that another team would come to fill that void. Italy had a fantastic midfield under Cesare Prandelli, and you're, you might have thought they, they've taken Spain to a 1-1 draw in the groups. They might be able to do it again if they meet somewhere down the line in the final. Um, they would have to get beyond Germany or... Germany or England, if they were to do so, and Germany and England, rather, as it turns out. Um, but they had a, a very, very good team, and they were definitely amongst the mix. Spain, Italy, and probably Germany. So it left that half of the draw, the second half of the draw, featuring England, Greece, and then the serious contenders like Germany and Italy. Then against Spain and Portugal, because Portugal were heavy favourites to beat Czech Republic, and... Cristiano Ronaldo just come off a fantastic season with Real Madrid and he was at the peak of his powers. He just shown there, he's grabbed a game by the scruff of his neck against the Netherlands to drag his team into the knockout stage, as he often did around this time in the 2010s. And those were the four big hitters. Those would That would be the semi-final lineup. but of course, more on that after this. Short, short break. Welcome back. So before we get into the knockout stage, we've got a 2021 trivial teaser. So now, as I said, I'm recording this after or before rather the England versus Denmark game. So I don't know if any of you got Thomas Socek correct in the uh, in the previous podcast. I've not even recorded that podcast yet. This is the uh, the benefits of <laughs> recorded podcasting anyway. So well done to whoever got Thomas Suchek correct there. I'm going to hazard a guess at the usuals. So we've got uh, Jake and George usually are in there, aren't they? You usually get a couple more that uh, chime in with their answers there. But yeah, well done to any of those who 
I haven't mentioned, and well done to those who have mentioned, who will probably get it sooner or later. Today, I am a centre half. This is a very difficult one today. Strap yourselves in. I'm a centre half. I've been managed by Pep Guardiola and Antonio Conte. Some of my teammates have been Anton Ferdinand, Yakubu, Sergio Aguero, Junior Stanislas, and Aiden Hazard. Who could I possibly be? I'm a centre half. Been managed by Pep Guardiola and Antonio Conte. I've been managed by Anton Ferdinand. I've been pl- I've played underneath, alongside rather. Oh my god. Played alongside Anton Ferdinand, Yakubu, Sergio Aguero, Junior Stanislas, and Aiden Hazard. The answer will be revealed on tomorrow's show, which, of course, is another Euro Rewind because it's another rest day and we'll be discussing Euro 2016 on that one. After the short break, we'll be looking at the knockout stage. Could England end a long time of hurt? What do you think? Welcome back. So, the knockout stage got underway in Warsaw between Portugal and Czech Republic, surely. Surely, Portugal would return to the final four after six years away. They had, of course, failed at the 2010 World Cup in the last 16 against Spain, a potential semi-final opponent, of course, and they had failed in the quarterfinals of the 2008 European Championships, their first place, not enough to avoid Germany in the uh, in the knockout phase there. So, it had been six long years away. And Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, it was him. He headed in in uh, his third goal, tying himself on the Golden Boot. Welcome to the Golden Boot race there, Cristiano, alongside other names, mainly called Mario, which we'll discuss later as well. Germany and Greece then provided an entertaining six-goal thriller, and it wasn't 6-0, which was the only shock out of that one. And, of course, it could have only gone one way, Philip Lahm. Sami Kadira, Miroslav Klose, and one of my favourite goals of this championship, an absolutely, an absolutely emphatic Marco Royce goal ran in there, Germany's four strikes. Um, yet Greece still got two. Germany had uh, done so in 2008, hadn't they? They'd conceded two and reached the final. Bizarre omens, but omens nonetheless. They could face a repeat of the 1996 semi-final against England, of course, couldn't they? But first, Spain versus France. A match where these days perhaps France would be favourites, of course, in 2021. Spain got further than France. It could have been a Spain-France quarter-final this year, but Switzerland happened, didn't they? But here, Spain were heavy, heavy favourites. Heavy favourites and were European world champions, of course. And to put it bluntly, Spain passed them to death. Xabi Alonso scored early on and bookended it with another goal and Alonso was sniffing around the golden boot thanks to two goals here getting the penalty late on it was Spain's first competitive win over France in 1998 whilst France were sat there celebrating the the World Cup victory in 1998 Spain had gone out in the group stages to Nigeria and Paraguay and here we are some 14 years later Spain dominant over France that's the only way you can really word it really they were absolutely dominant and this is how it would be around this time the fourth quarter final though was in Kiev England versus Italy now as I say recording this before the semi-final tonight between England and Denmark is this is this the final on Sunday let me know Um, (laughs) is England versus Italy Kiev the stage was set Joe Hart had his mouth out and everything. Goalless 120 minutes. Italy extremely unfortunate to not have won the game in extra time, in normal time. They were by far the better team. 
Two nations without great hope of a penalty shootout win as well, but one had to win. Italy had a rotten record from penalties, of course, most notably 1994's World Cup final with Roberto Baggio. And the less said about England's history of penalty shootouts, David Batty, Gareth Southgate, Stuart Pearce, Chris Waddle, etc. The better. Also David Beckham and Darius Vassell, Frank, Rank, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard. Uh, the list goes on, Jamie Carragher, and yeah, it's, <laughs> I've just about mentioned them all there. Pre-2012, um, we would of course have two more names added to that list as we go on. But it looked kind of bright for a England penalty shootout. Ricardo Montalivo missed fairly early for Italy. England did quite well. Gerard Rooney, extremely good penalties. England's long wait for a semi-final was going to be over. The long wait for a penalty shootout win were going to be over all at once, both things that hadn't happened since 1996. And then Ashley happened. Ashley's young and Cole, they said otherwise, of course. Both missing as Andrea Perlo penenkered Italy into the final four. Purely embarrassed Joe Hart. And then from then on, the tide was turned England again, losing on a penalty shootout as was to be fate until 2018. So we had to wait another six years here. And I remember going into this, um, uh, at the end of this rather, not too disappointed. Roy Hodgson was only been in the job six weeks and awaiting them in the semi-final with Germany, who were likely to win the tournament. Of course, we know them all now. Um, but if it was an England-Germany semi-final, I've got no doubts that Germany would have beaten England. It would have been Germany versus Spain in the in the final. Spain would have probably won that too, so it wouldn't have changed the whole lot. But you can bet that I'm probably going to do a what if around that sometime soon. Anyway, the semi-final. Germany would have done England, but they didn't do Italy. Mario Balotelli's memorific first, mesmeric first, really, the volley and then just taking his shirt off and then just that Hulk pose and then he followed it up with a second and then somehow the the Germany high line was outdone by Italy and Italy was somehow 2-0 up and you never felt as though Germany could get back into the game it was still the first half. Mesut Ozil would of course get that consolation penalty. He would um, ensure that it would be a bit squeaky for about 30 seconds or so, but of course it would be a reunion for for the final because it was in the other semi-final, Spain versus Portugal. It was another Germany failure to beat Italy competitively as it often happens, 1982's World Cup final, as an example for that. But the first semi-final was a, another goalless game and of course that means another penalty shootout and another penalty shootout that ended 4-2. And Cristiano Ronaldo's insistence on becoming the hero, taking the fifth kick, worked against him in this one because his teammates Bruno Alves and João Moutinho missed as the likes of Andres Iniesta, Gerard Pique, Sergio Ramos and Hero from 2008's quarterfinal penalty shootout. Cesc Fabregas all scored, meaning that Cristiano Ronaldo wouldn't even be able to take a kick. Of course, João Moutinho would redeem himself four years later with a spot kick against Poland, which Cristiano Ronaldo had to had to beg him to take, which of course has done the rounds since on social media. It would be the third final in a row for Spain, 1-0 against 
the Netherlands in 2010, 1-0 against Germany in 2008, and here a brand new challenger. They had, of course, not conceded in any knockout stage game since 2006. So every tournament they have won, they have not conceded a goal in at least in the 21st century here. We had to wait for it in terms of a Spain point of view, but finally they completed the perfect performance in Kiev. First David Silva, then Jordi Alba had a fantastic tournament from left back, a bit like here, nine years on. They strangled the life out of Andrea Perlo's creativity, unlike in the group stage game, and they were just absolutely mesmeric. And Fernando Torres, another golden boot contender, and Juan Mata scored. And in the end, Fernando Torres took the golden boot based on assists, I think. It was either assists or the least minutes played. It probably should be assists um, if you're to separate two golden boot winners, which we might have to... Um, we might have to, this tournament, unless, of course, Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane or even Kasper Dahlberg's got a hat-trick tonight, which, of course, of course, I don't know that yet. Anyway, it was the pinnacle for Spain's dominance on the world stage, and from then on in, they have yet to replicate it. They went out in the groups in 2014, losing to the Netherlands quite spectacularly 5-1 in the end, combusted in the in the second half there. Lost to Chile, of course, um, were out in the groups. 2016, came up against Italy again, but lost in the last 16. Of course, they surrendered. Top spot to Croatia in that one. If they would have beaten Croatia, they've gotten Portugal, and they've got a very good record against Portugal in tournaments, so maybe, especially in what was a kind of half of the draw. That's another what if for another day, isn't it, really? Um, but Spain then went to the 2018 World Cup, won the group. Um, so they were in the, a kind of half of the draw this time. So you think, oh, they didn't do it in 2016. They're going to do it in 2018. Got the hosts, Russia. Got the fans behind them, but they're not too great. Um, they get taken to penalties and again, lose. Uh, so Spain, by the time Euro 2021 comes around, they haven't won a knockout stage game in nine years. They don't win the group again. This time uh, missing out to Sweden, they couldn't beat Poland. So we get to Croatia, a rematch of Euro 2016's group stages. And finally, nine years in the making, Spain put five beyond Croatia, concede three themselves and go to extra time. Um, but they finally win a knockout stage game, of course beat Switzerland on penalties and ultimately lose to Italy. So they haven't, still haven't won a knockout stage game in 90 minutes. Um, they only won a one game inside 90 minutes in this entire tournament I thought for example the Omens were there they could do a Portugal from five years ago but alas those Omens weren't founded and of course speaking of Portugal 2016 there's a slick transition we'll be speaking of them in tomorrow's Euro Rewind as we've caused still on the rest days here in the countdown to the final where hopefully speaking to you from the past England have qualified but I I don't know. So I'll leave it up to your interpretation until tomorrow. Just simply say there. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.